Let's open in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we ask you to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word now. Help us to glean the riches that are found in your words of life here in Psalm 42. Lord, would you uh, encourage the faint of heart? Would you lift up the weary soul? And Lord, for all of us, would we all be able to find our hope in God? Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why do you let evil have its way? How can you let orphans die in vain? When will you give answers for the pain? Is there a place where hope can still sustain? These are the lyrics from songwriter Ben Harm's song called Sustain. He's a gifted contemporary worship songwriter and he has a unique ability to voice very real and raw wrestlings and strivings with God and with the brokenness that he sees in our world. He gives voice to what we would call life in the minor key. He expresses emotions that all of us have dealt with at one point in time or another. The Psalms themselves provide us with a full array of human emotion that we've already seen in our study this summer. And these emotions include emotions of hurt, confusion, doubt, frustration, longing. So what do you do when you find yourself face to face with suffering? How will you respond when the path God has for you is marked with sorrow? How you answer that question will define a great deal about your life and how you encounter suffering because we all know that it's not a matter of if we encounter pain and sorrow in this life, it's a matter of when. And so today we get to look at a psalm in Psalm 42 that introduces us to one of the most prominent genres in all of the Psalter, and that is the genre of lament. Approximately a third of the psalms are lament psalms. Lament is this minor key song that's found throughout the Psalms, God's songbook. And it's found, as I mentioned, with such regularity that it tells us that we ought to expect suffering in this life. And that it's okay to struggle as we see the psalmist crying out using this ancient prayer language of lament. God has given us lament as a means of dealing with our pain, leading us to trust in him. Lament cries out, how long, O Lord? It voices the very real struggle that all of us can probably at one time or another remember saying, God, I know that you're good, but it really doesn't feel like it today. Why is this happening? If God is good, then why is this occurring in my life? If God loves me, if he's for me, then how can this be? Pastor Mark Vrogop, in his book that I highly recommend to you, it's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's a book on lament. He defines lament this way. He says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. 
Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is the honest cry of a Christian that is desperately trying to reconcile the brokenness of this world and the promise of God's goodness. Vrogup goes on to say that to cry is human, but to lament is uniquely Christian. You see, crying, it's natural for us as people. We don't need to be taught how to cry when we're in pain. The very first thing that you do when you enter the world is you cry as a babe. But we see that to lament is uniquely Christian. In lament, we turn to God in our pain and we voice our struggle and our complaints to him, yet we choose to trust him and to hope in his goodness. And lament is not just a gift that God has given us as individuals, but it's also for the church, something that we can do corporately together. Together we lament injustice and suffering as we long for the day when God will right every wrong and he will wipe away every tear. Lament gives us a vehicle to enter into one another's pain and to truly live out what it means to mourn with those who mourn and to weep with those who weep. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Lament is not a formula that eradicates our pain. It's not a solution that's going to solve all your problems if you just pray this way and your problems will go away and your sadness will be cast aside. No, that's, that's not what will happen, but lament, it will help you walk through the hardships of life, choosing to trust God even in the midst of your deepest pain. So with that, let us look together at this lament that we find in Psalm 42. To begin, we see in the superscription that this psalm was written by the sons of Korah, the sons of Korah were essentially music ministers. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19, we see them leading the throng, leading the, the congregation in praise and music. It says, they led them with loud singing. I appreciate that descriptor. <laughs> they were a group of priests who were tasked with leading the ministry of singing in the temple. And so clearly this group that was tasked with leading others in worship, as they wrote this song, their hope was that this song would be sung by God's people in the assembly. And though it was apparently written by a group, as we read through it, you notice that there was this personal nature to it. It seems to be from the perspective of one person. Some think that this could be the songwriter's attempt to write from the perspective and experience of King David when he was in exile, being exiled from uh, Jerusalem by King Saul. Now, whether or not that's true, uh, it certainly expresses a great deal of personal grief and sorrow that seems to be from a real experience in someone's life. This minor key song, as he expresses anguish of heart to God, it, it shows us this important truth, and that is this that the suffering soul finds hope in God, their salvation. It's a very simple statement, but it's so profound. The suffering soul finds hope in God, their salvation. The psalm has two main movements as you look at it. And in the middle and the end, it has these identical refrains that repeat. 
found in verses 5 and 11. And so we're going to look at the psalm in three main parts. In the first part, verses 1 to 4, we see the psalmist longing for God. That's our first point, longing for God. And then in the second, verses 6 to 10, we see the psalmist lamenting to God. Lamenting to God. And finally, that refrain found in verses 5 and 11, we see the psalmist hoping in God. Hoping in God. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 to 4, where we see the psalmist longing for God. He opens in verses 1 and 2 with one of the most memorable images in all of the Psalter. He likens his desire, his longing for God, to a deer that is thirsty for water. The beauty of the writing has inspired countless songs and poems throughout the years. And at first glance, we may be tempted to see a scene of tranquility or peace. You might envision a scene of Bambi prancing through the forest, dipping his head to drink from a flowing stream, just a beautiful, peaceful picture. But as we read the whole psalm in context, we find that this is not a scene of serenity, but it's a scene of desperation, of exasperation. What the psalmist is communicating with this imagery is that just as a deer in the wilderness desperately longs for a drink of water just to survive, so his soul longs for God. As we read on, we see that his heart is in turmoil. He asks the question, when will I appear before God? What he's referring to here is worshiping with God's people at the temple. He says his tears are his food day and night. How many of you can relate to that? Where you have walked the path of sorrow to the point where your eyes never seem to dry. I know many of you in here have have walked that path before. Why are his tears his food day and night? He answers that for us and that his tears are from being absent from worshiping God with his people. He's so desperate to meet with God and his covenant family. Look at verse four with me. As he pours out his soul, what does he choose to recall? What does he remember? He remembers being with God's people, worshiping in the house of the Lord. In the midst of his pain, of all things, he remembers corporate worship something that we're partaking of together right now. Worshiping the Lord with God's people was that important to him that it drove him to tears when he could not partake. Friends, do you long to be in the sanctuary on Sundays? Do you long to worship with God's people, your church family? There's nothing special about this building. There's nothing magical about this room But friends, when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we come together to worship the living God, you better believe something significant happens. He is here with us in a profound way. You see, one of the differences between the psalmist's situation and ours is that the Spirit of God no longer dwells in temples made with human hands as he did in the psalmist's day. But he now dwells, as we know, in us. 
his temple, his people, the church. The apostle Peter describes it this way in 1 Peter 2.5 when he calls us living stones, being built up together into a spiritual house where we are now priests who offer spiritual sacrifices of worship. And so when we come together as individual living stones filled with the Holy Spirit, we form this spiritual house of worship where the presence of God dwells in a profound way with us. I hope that is your experience. I hope that you'll never look at Sunday morning the same, that God is here with us in such a special way when we join together as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship him. The psalmist, he didn't have this same blessing on the other side of the cross, the indwelling of the Spirit. He doesn't have that. He doesn't get to enjoy that. And so for him, not being able to attend worship meant that he was cut off from the special presence of God. At temple worship, that was where sins were forgiven and atoned for. That is where God met with his people and spoke. That's where man was reconciled to his maker. And so he is in turmoil over being cut off from this special presence of the Lord And so for us, as we reflect on it, what a grace it is, what a blessing to know that because Jesus was cut off at the cross, that we'll never be cut off from him. Because Jesus came to earth and embodied the fullness of God's presence, we'll never be in want for more of his presence. He has given all of himself to us because Jesus sent the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. We will never be alone, friends. He is always with us. Even though we experience these blessings of the new covenant that I just described, I certainly hope that after this last year that we've all experienced together and all of the sorrow of the pandemic, that maybe we have tasted just a little bit of what it was like. The psalmist experience, maybe we can relate just a little bit better when we were unable to meet. We were unable to come together and to to worship with each other, to give glory to God and experience the grace that God pours out on us uniquely when we gather to worship. There's a grace that comes to us that only comes through the body of Christ, that God bestows to us through his people. So during that time, I hope that your soul longed to be here worshiping with your church family, giving glory and honor to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, worshiping in God's house is something that we must prioritize in our lives. Corporate worship, it's one of the primary means of your discipleship and encouragement in the Christian life. So whether you realize it or not, by neglecting Worshiping with God's people, it hurts your soul, whether you know it or not. Because one of the greatest gifts God has given us is each other. And I realize that in the last year, there's been many that have been unable to be here due to health issues or conscience issues, and I want to be sensitive to that. I'm not here to heap guilt on you if you're watching on the live stream Our heart goes out to you. We long for you to be able to come and worship with us again. It's a part of your suffering that you are not able to join with us in worship. So friends, let us cherish 
these times that we get to be together on Sundays and mourn the times when we're not able to be here. And let us long for God the way that the psalmist longs for him in this passage. He not only expresses deep longing, but he expresses deep pain and sorrow to God. And that's what brings us to our second point, lamenting to God, found in verses 6 to 10. Lamenting to God. I want to clarify that this entire Psalm 42 is, is a lament. It's not just this section of verses here in 6 to 10, but in that section, as we'll read through, we'll find that the lament really narrows its focus and it intensifies. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, his soul is cast down. He's in this foreign land, far away from Jerusalem. Verse 7, he's in the midst of these wild and unruly waters. It's as if he's lost all footing and the waves of sorrow and oppression will not relent from sweeping over him. In the first section, his enemies taunt him, where is your God? Here in verse 9, it escalates where he says, why have you forgotten me? He turns to God himself and asks, why have you forgotten me? The psalmist goes on describing his anguish of heart in verse 10, how the enemies continue to taunt and oppress him. It's like a fatal wound in his bones. This picture is one where he is overwhelmed by his grief. But if we look at this section closely, we'll see a few markers that distinguish this as lament and not merely someone crying out in pain or not merely someone complaining. And that first mark is, The psalmist acknowledges his pain and turns to the Lord. He acknowledges his pain and he turns to the Lord. Notice in verse 6 where he says, My soul is cast down, therefore I remember you. So what he's saying here is that because my soul is cast down, I turn to you, Lord. I remember you. Do you see how he holds the tension between acknowledging his pain and turning to God. As some, sometimes as Christians, when it comes to suffering, we can be tempted to fall into one of two ditches. The first being that we think that if we acknowledge our pain or our suffering, that it's somehow less godly, that we should avoid feeling any type of sorrow or staying there because somehow it demonstrates a lack of faith or trust in God. That we should just trust the Lord and Know that he has a plan for us and that he's working all things together for good. And while that may be true, the psalmist here shows us that to acknowledge your pain doesn't mean necessarily that you're turning away from God. Rather, for him, it meant turning his heart to God. His pain drove him to who else but God himself. And the other ditch, sometimes in our grief, we can focus solely on the pain on the the circumstance that we find ourselves in to the point where it consumes us and that we're unable to hear the truth of God's word. It drowns all voices of truth out and we become consumed by our suffering. So the psalmist, in this brief statement, he shows us the path of lament that seeks to walk between those two ditches 
Yes, he acknowledges that his soul is cast down. He cries out in pain and agony, but he doesn't stay there. He lifts his feeble head to the Lord, and he remembers God. You see, lament is how we live in the in-between. Lament is how we live in between the reality of the brokenness in our life and the promise of God's goodness. Lament helps you to be able to say, this is really hard. And I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Another mark of lament that we see in this section is the psalmist voices his struggle to God. He voices his struggle to God. He asks that very real and raw question, why have you forgotten me? While deep down, He may know that God has not forgotten him. He can't help but voice the struggle going on internally in his heart. Have you ever asked that question? Why have you forgotten me? It feels like you've forgotten me today, Lord. I know that you haven't, but it it really feels like it. Why is this happening? Where are you, God? I think a lot of us have probably asked that question. Friend, can I let you know that it's okay? It's okay that God can handle that question. Jesus himself, he asked a very similar question. When he was on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22 there. It's a lament. When Jesus bears the wrath of God in the place of sinners, what does he do? He laments. Jesus shows us that to voice our struggle to God does not equal a lack of faith, but rather an expression of it. The Lord invites us today, all of us, to come to him with our struggles, to come to him with our strivings, our questions, our confusion, our hurt. He is an ocean of patience and love, eager to bear with us as we struggle. And as the psalmist voices this struggle to the Lord, he makes another statement that marks this uniquely as lament. And that is this. He recognizes God's sovereignty in the midst of his pain. He recognizes God's sovereignty in the midst of his pain. Look at verse 7 with me. As these waves of grief come crashing over him, who does he attribute them to? He attributes them to God. Notice he says, your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. He understands that God is sovereign over all things, and that doesn't just mean the good things in life, but the hardships and the sorrows and the suffering that he endures. Job, in all of his immense suffering, losing both his goods and all of his children in one day, reminds reminds us of this truth in Job one twenty one, where he laments, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. This is one of the most difficult mysteries for us to wrap our finite minds around. How could a good and loving God be sovereign over my pain? 
We don't have time today to do a full-on theological treatise of how God ordains suffering and evil in the world. But even if we don't understand it all and all the nuts and bolts of it, we can take heart knowing in the fact that God has a purpose and uses our suffering in a multitude of ways. Many of you have learned this hard truth. You've seen God use your pain in a variety of ways. You've seen him use your pain to increase your faith and trust and reliance on him. You've seen him use your pain to root out sin in your life that has entangled you. You've seen him use your pain to help you sympathize with others and to truly enter into another person's experience because you've been there. You've seen him use your pain to to help give others wise counsel, to help you know that if you have Christ, you have everything. You've come to know through your suffering that it's no comfort to your soul to say that God does not rule the winds and waves of suffering. It is precisely because he does rule over the winds and waves of suffering that we can take hope and heart knowing that he has a promise and a purpose for it. There's things that we must learn in the school of suffering that we would never learn any other way. One of the distinct blessings that we find in the midst of our grief is God's special comfort. Jesus makes a precious promise in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. In all of the other Beatitudes, there's not a unique blessing for those who are strong or happy or joyful, but Jesus reserves this special blessing of comfort for those who mourn, those who grieve. So brothers and sisters, in the midst of your grief, in all your pain, take heart. Jesus has promised comfort to your soul. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 assures us of another outcome of our afflictions, another one of God's purposes as Paul writes that our pain is actually preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So you need to hear this today, friend, that your pain, it is never wasted. Your pain is never wasted. It's not meaningless. And so therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't lose hope because we know he's working in the waiting. He is working in us an eternal weight of glory. Not losing heart, it's something that the psalmist demonstrates for us in this refrain so beautifully. And that brings us to our third and final point, hoping in God, found in verses five and 11, hoping in God. At the end of the two sections that we've looked at, he sings the same refrain, In this refrain, he is striving for, grasping for hope. He's fighting for hope. In his longing for God, in his lamenting to God, he is grasping to find some form of hope in God. And how does he wage this battle for hope? He preaches to himself. He talks to himself. 
In the refrain, he says to himself, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Christian, the battle for hope in your life will require you to preach truth to your soul daily. Pastor and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones once quipped, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The psalmist charges himself to hope in God, his salvation. So where do we look for hope? It's one thing to just say hope in God, but where is our hope? Where is our rock solid hope? We sang about it this morning. Our greatest ground for hope is that Jesus came to earth for sinners. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that you and I deserved, forgiving us of our sins. And he rose again from the dead on the third day. And he triumphantly ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. This is the gospel. This is the greatest ground for our hope as Christians. And so if we are to preach truth to ourselves, to fight for hope, then friends, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. As the Heidelberg Catechism writes, Christ is our only hope in life and in death. Oh, how we daily need to be reminded of the miracle of grace. We need the gospel every day because we're so prone to forget it every day. We lose heart, we lose hope because we forget what Jesus has done. And so friends, make it a priority in your life to preach the gospel to yourself. And as you do, you will find hope welling up in your soul. No, it doesn't mean that your pain will go away. It doesn't mean that your hurting heart will cease. It doesn't mean that your problems will be solved. But the gospel, it will produce hope in your soul. And Jesus will comfort you as he promised. So just a couple ideas for how you can practically remind yourself of the gospel. So maybe you put some Bible verses around your house or in your bathroom on your mirror and it reminds you of who you are in Christ. Or you listen to the Bible on audio in your car and you redeem the time in the car that way. Or instead of listening to that podcast or that news station or the radio, you listen to songs that are filled with the truth of the gospel that remind you of the miracle of grace. Or maybe simply you just pray in your quiet time with the Lord and you rehearse the gospel back to the Lord and you thank him for what he's done in your life and how he has saved you, the life that you have in him both now and eternally. Or maybe you just need to remember those three words, hope in God. And as you go about your day you use that as a rally cry. No matter what happens, whatever befalls you, you use that as a prayer, a rally cry that says, hope in God. And you preach to yourself to find hope in him. We have to be intentional to remind ourselves of the most important reality about us, and that is we are Christ's and he is ours. He is our life. If we're gonna wage this battle and fight for hope, we have to be reminding ourselves continually of the truth of the gospel. 
If you're here today and you are not yet a follower of Christ, we're so glad that you're here. This might be foreign to you, what we're talking about, all this hope, but can I just ask you, where is your hope today? Where is your hope when you leave this earth? When you die, when everything is stripped away, where does your hope rest? Because Jesus, the sinless Son of God, came into a world without hope, he can provide you with the hope that you so desperately need. Both the hope for today and hope for tomorrow and and on into eternity. He can assure you that your ultimate destiny will be with him in glory forever and ever if you trust him alone to save you. If you want to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Please feel free to come up. I'd love to pray with you, help answer any questions that you might have if I can. So friends, today our text, Psalm 42, shows us what it looks like to fight for hope even amidst your suffering, that the suffering soul finds hope in God, their salvation. And so brother and sister, how will you respond when pain and sorrow come knocking on your door? When the phone rings and you pick it up to find that a loved one has passed, or you see the, the doctor comes in the room and you can tell immediately by the look on their face that the cancer has returned. Or when you're so weary of the loneliness that you feel that you're not sure how you can make it another day or press on. Or when your marriage has suffered blow after blow and you're not sure how you're going to make it. Or when you have broken relationships in your life, divorce, relationships that have suffered such breakdown and sin, and you're not sure how they'll ever be reconciled. When your wayward child refuses to heed your words of wisdom and come back to the Lord, friends, what will you do in that moment? My hope is that for all of us that we would mine the riches of lament and use the Psalms as our guide. Lament is one of those amazing graces and gifts that God has given us. It helps us to mourn our brokenness and yet trust that God is good. It helps us to voice our struggles and yet choose to hope in the one who keeps us. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song that was written from Psalm 42. And so whether you're in the valley of sorrow today or you're gonna be there tomorrow, let us all cry out these words of the songwriter together. Oh, my soul, put your hope in God, my help, my rock. I will praise him. Sing, oh, sing through the raging storm. You're still my God, my salvation. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we plead with you to help us mine the riches of lament. Lord, this ancient prayer language that you have given us to be able to navigate a world 
of brokenness and pain and yet lead us to trust in you and your character. That you are good, that you are faithful, that you are just, and that you do all things well. Lord, I pray over those even here now that are in the midst of their deepest suffering and pain. Lord, would you grant them grace to, to not go silent, to not, con- to not quit talking to you, Lord, but to continue crying out to you, to continue lifting their feeble heads to you, Lord, the God of hope. And Lord, would you fill their hearts today with the hope Not only that you provide today in your comforting presence, but the hope of everlasting life with you. And you will write everything. And you will wipe away every tear. Lord, would you help us to long for that day. We thank you for this time. Would you help us now as we lift our voices to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.